Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty of the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week marks the beginning of an enlightening series called Jesus at the Center of Freedom. In the heart of Luke chapter 4, we find Jesus defining the pivotal areas of his earthly ministry. Join us for this profound journey as we unpack the profound meaning behind Jesus' declaration of being sent to heal the brokenhearted. Today's episode is a poignant exploration into the realms of emotional healing. Jesus came to bring freedom to those who are weighted down or broken by life circumstances, difficulties, and hurts. He came to give you life. Here's Pastor Brian Jones with today's message. Amen. Amen, amen. Hey, just let me encourage you with this. You know, in Hebrew culture, I was thinking about this as we were worshiping. In Hebrew culture, do you know that they used to walk in when they would go to the temple? They used to walk in a different door than they would leave. And the reason they would do this is because they believed that it was impossible to come into the presence of God and leave unchanged. And so what I want to encourage you is, for those of you who are hungry, I mentioned this last week, but for those of you who are hungry and seeking God, it is impossible to come to his presence and leave unchanged. Amen? And so what I love about what God is doing is um, to say that God's been moving in our church would be an understatement, wouldn't it? And so what I love is, is as we seek God together, there's just something about coming with an expectation and a hunger. And first, I just want to say, uh, I am so proud of you. If you haven't been with us, we've done this thing called Breakthrough Weekend. And uh, we had a friend of mine, Brian Heasley, who came and uh, spoke Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday. And after hanging with him, I'm convinced when I get to heaven, I want an English accent. <laughs> Aren't they just so much easier to listen to? I know some of you are suffering that I'm, I was about to try my best English accent, but it is not good. It sounds like someone from deep, deep south. Like, so I just decided I wasn't going to do that. But didn't, didn't he do a great job? Wasn't he just a gift? Yep. And uh, I just want to say, I'm proud of you. So many of you attempted fasting. You did the fast. You tried it for a bit. And uh, I don't know about you, but you know, it does affect everything. Like last night, I dreamed of fasting. I was like, Jesus, I want to dream of sugar and fat and lard, not of fasting and bone broth. So hopefully today you get to break that fast. But uh, I was just so encouraged by the way that God was working this week. Uh, if you weren't with us or you're brand new, you're probably going, what's he talking about? We did a week long of fasting and seeking God together. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you behind me, you'll see a little QR code. And in fact, in your program, I invite you on the back of that, you'll see that as well. I've had so many people send me stories or tell me what God is doing in the midst of this. And uh, it has been such a great gift for me to read those. And uh, I know it'll be a blessing to many people. But if you uh, had a story that you'd be willing to share, I just invite you uh, on the Breakthrough page. You can actually link it there. Just share what God's doing. Small, big. It's just amazing to see what God is doing. That In the midst of that, I just want to encourage you too. Some of you, this is the first time you've ever fasted. And I've talked to you, and some of you didn't get a chance to fast, either because of traveling or you're here for the first time. And I just want to encourage you with this. Uh, maybe I, I talked to a few people, and some people are going, hey, we're just going to fast one, one day for a month. Um, some people are going, hey, we're going to take one meal a week and fast from it. But, but if fasting has been a gift for you, I know it's really transformed my spiritual life. Maybe just try to inject it into your sort of weekly or monthly rhythms in such a way where that could be a gift for you as well. Addition to that, one of the things that's been really amazing about this week is you might not know this, but in addition to these sessions and this prayer and fasting, we actually have had uh, a little over 100 people that have been meeting in the uh, chapel from noon to one and praying and just seeking God together. And uh, I'm just telling you, God showed up in that time in a pretty, a pretty amazing way for me. I just experienced his, his presence in ways, quite frankly, I wasn't expecting. And so at the end of that, on Friday, I had several people come up to me and go, hey, we just feel like this prayer part um, isn't done. And so we want to keep praying. And so we, wanna, we, wanna, we just want to do another week of prayer. Um, they didn't feel the same way about fasting. No one said to keep the fasting going. 
But you know what's funny is I, I talked to some of the pastors and we were praying about it. And that morning when I woke up, as people were asking, can we keep praying? I just thought about, you know, if my kids came up to me and said, hey, dad, I know I've eaten all the broccoli off my plate. Can I have more broccoli? Do you know what I'm not going to say? Well, son, I just think you need more protein. I think you need maybe other vegetables. I want a well-balanced diet, son. If my kids ask for broccoli, they can eat until they're sick. Amen? And if a church is begging to pray, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say absolutely not. I'm going to say we can pray until you are sick of praying. Amen? And so ask and you shall receive. So for those of you who have been asking, what we're going to do is uh, we're not going to do 12 to 1, but this week, just this week, we're going to continue praying in the chapel. And um, if you're around and you can make it, great. It's going to be 11 to noon just this week. And uh, we just spend time. It's not flashy. It's just worshiping, seeking God together. And then we just pray. And uh, what I want to invite you to do, every one of you, because I know some of you can't be there. You've got work. You've got obligations. You've got kids. You've got chaos. But here's what I want you to do. Pull out your phone, if you would. You guys are just staring at me. This is not rhetorical. Pull out your phones. This is the one time you can be on your phone during church. The rest of the time it's sin, all right? But what I want you to do is on your phone, put a timer or an alarm at 11 o'clock. So what I'm asking is, if you have the ability to join us 11 o'clock, uh, it'd be a great gift, and I think you'll be blessed by it. But many of you, obligations, travel, schedules, all that, no pressure whatsoever. Um, but I'm asking you to pray at 11 o'clock. Imagine what it would be like to have a church filled with thousands of people, wherever they are, who are just crying out. Don't you think God would have a hard time? Uh, keeping his attention from that many prayers. And so what I'm inviting us to do, some of you will be in a business meeting, that's fine. Pray for two seconds, a breath prayer. Some of you have kids screaming, that's fine. Pray for two minutes or three minutes uh, before everything goes chaotic. Whatever that is, just I invite you to pray at 11 o'clock. You open to that? Yes, indeed. Well, I'm grateful for that. Now today, what I'm excited about is I am kicking off a series called Jesus at the Center of Freedom. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this series is right out of breakthrough, I want to speak about ways that I believe Jesus wants to break through or bring freedom into our lives. And so for years uh, after I became a Christian, I had this belief that in essence I would say a prayer and that God would one day save me for heaven. He would give me forgiveness, but I had this belief somewhere that Jesus really didn't help me on this earth. That he, that he didn't really heal me on this earth. That I had to wait till the other side of heaven to experience him. And so, so I really had this sort of false notion that really I can get salvation, but I can't get freedom. And so one of the things that I want you to see right off the bat, in fact, I was, I was praying last night and I had such a sense of this. In fact, if I could sum this whole month up in one thing, I would say this. Jesus forgives you, but he's also set you free. And so, so many people in this room have grown up around church, and what happens is you say a prayer, and one day you know that you're going to heaven, but you sit in a room where you've experienced forgiveness, but you've not experienced freedom and healing. So you have some past memory, some past pain, something that when you sit seems to create an anxiety or fear. And what's happened is like me, you believe that you just have to grind it out for 10 or 20 years, and then one day when you get to heaven, all will be well. And so we read verses in Revelation where it says one day he will wipe every tear from our eye, and that's true. But somewhere we believe the lie that you cannot experience freedom and healing now. And so what I want to do is I want to submit to you this morning that it is part of Jesus' job description to not just forgive you, but to also heal you and set you free. Amen. And so I want to speak to some people who probably have been in rooms like this for 20 years and have been carrying things, and you just think it's another 20 years that you've got to carry them. And I believe today is the day of salvation, but it is also the day of freedom. And so what I want to do is walk through, because you're going, that's great. Well, where do you get this stuff? Straight from the Bible. And so Jesus speaks about it in Luke chapter 4, what his ministries are. Now, this is interesting. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be spending the entire month looking at this. So I want to just give you a little context for this. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and then he goes to the temple. What's interesting about this is Jesus is now starting his public ministry. So he's gone to the temple quite a few times, but this time he's going to the temple. He is starting his public ministry, so what he reads and what he declares is pretty important, right? 
So this is the start of him. And so he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 61 and Luke verse 4. But this is what he says. This is the start of his ministry. Luke 4, 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, Jesus, again, he, he's, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61. He just came from the wilderness. What was he doing in the wilderness? And he, fasting. And I just think it's beautiful thinking about all the things that, that God did in so many people as, as you were fasting. In fact, I got a couple stories um, that I just wanted to share and hopefully you submit some. But here's just one person as, as they were fasting for the first time. I love this. She just said, I felt more peaceful, calm, and gentle this morning. Wish I could bottle it. I have more clarity. I feel a sense of responsibility to be more Christ-like. My husband was gone all week. And as I reflect on the week, I do feel in my heart that Jesus was walking here beside me through the mundane, through the chaos, the calm and quiet moments. Like our church said, it's, a superna- it's not a supernatural experience, and maybe that's what I was expecting some way, an overwhelming feeling of change. But the reality is today, I feel immense peace. Today, I feel immense peace. Also, I'm five pounds lighter, which is definitely a bonus. I love what someone else sent about their time fasting and praying for our church. They said, I was talking to a friend about a month ago, told her there was something happening, something stirring at our church. I first thought it was me. I was finally allowing God to heal my brokenness. But as weeks went on, I felt the Holy Spirit whispering, are you ready? I attended two of the three Christmas Eve services and it brought me to tears. My spirit was jumping up and down and I felt like God saying he is here. God was moving in a big way over the congregation. It was a heaviness that felt like a gentle pressure. It was comforting. Each Sunday since Christmas, the whispering has gotten louder. Are you ready? I am here. I told my neighbor last week that God was moving in a big way, that Brookwood was doing a corporate fast, and next week I couldn't wait to see what the Lord would do. On Sunday night, the band came out, the lights dimmed, and for a brief moment there was complete silence, and I heard the Spirit yell to me, freedom. Then Monday night, while I didn't feel his presence as close as it's been over the congregation on Sunday, then they sang the last song. I was overcome with emotion, watching what the Spirit was doing. Over and over at each of the three services, I kept hearing the word freedom. And as I left, God impressed this verse on my heart, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that amazing? We just thank God for all that he's doing just in the church and just in his goodness. And so the reason I share this is that what I found interesting is we've gone on a week-long fast. And what's interesting is Jesus did a little bit longer than us. He did 40 days. But what's interesting is as soon as he gets done with his fast, he comes and he declares the earthly ministries that he's going to do. So what I believe is as we step out of this season of fasting that, that we're going to enter into these words of Jesus on what his, what his public ministry is about. And these are what we're going to look at over the next four weeks when we talk about Jesus and what his job description. So what Jesus has come to help you or heal you here on earth, it's this, emotional healing, strongholds, physical healing, and salvation. This is what Jesus says his job description is. And so today, what I want to look at is emotional healing. The pain associated with memories or some past. And can I just submit to you this? I've said this several times, and I know it's a cute phrase, but I mean this when I say it. Some of us are still holding on to something in the past, and your past is not your past if it impacts your future, if it impacts your present. So some of us think that because we have this past event and it's happened, it's all said and done. But when you sit in this room or when you get quiet, what happens is those thoughts get really loud. The pain associated that the grief or the guilt will start to to well up. And part of Jesus' job description I want to submit to you this morning is to heal those things to heal those memories and that pain associated with it. And this is what he says, Luke chapter 418, this is where I'm getting it. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, the word brokenhearted comes from a Greek word, centribo. 
And it's literally the picture of a person who has their life that's been shattered, shattered by pain. Think of it like a mirror that was once whole and now it's broken into a thousand pieces. This is the invitation that Jesus is giving. So what he's saying here is that he's come to heal those who have had their hearts shattered or bruised. And all of us have had that or will have that. And the truth is, some of us in this moment, we still carry those things even though it's in the rear view. And some of us aren't even aware of what it is that we are carrying. I want to show you something that I think is like a picture of just sort of uh, God's goodness in this. You ever heard of this kintsugi, the Japanese art? What's interesting about this is, is they have an art that teaches that broken objects are something not to hide but to display. And so what they believe is, is that by displaying broken pottery, it's possible to create new life from wounds or scars. And if that's not a picture of what I think Jesus is saying here, I don't know what is. Is that what he wants to do is take those broken pieces of your life that somewhere we haven't really believed will find healing, and then he wants to bring a sense of wholeness where you're not removed from those scars, but where they don't hurt, where there's not pain associated and where God puts you on display in a radical way. So let me just give you a few things as we talk about God healing the brokenhearted and God bringing emotional healing. Let me just show you a few things of what this looks like. First, when God heals the brokenhearted, if he's going to heal your life, some emotional pain you have, the first thing I want you to get is he's going to transform you in your pain. He's going to transform you through your pain. Said a different way, I believe he will transform you in some ways through your pain that he couldn't in your good times. Now, one of the things that I I love about the Bible is that if you ever slow down and read the Bible, at first glance, I I know this feels a bit sacrilegious to say, but doesn't the Bible sometimes seem to give terrible advice? Like some of the things we say, like the first shall be last, no company's ever going to say that. Like some of the things we say, leaving 99 for, this is terrible math. And sometimes we read the Bible, and I don't know if you're like me, and if you are, be, be, be freed by this. Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, this is awful advice. So I'm reading Romans 5 the other day, and this is what it says. You ever slow down thinking? this? Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings. Who wants to glory in their sufferings? Like, I can submit to you, you probably never heard anyone say, like when you go up to them and say, how are you doing? They've probably never gone, dude, I'm amazing. Best week ever. My whole life has fallen apart. My family hates me. I've lost my job. But you know what? Glorying in my sufferings. Praise Jesus. Like people don't speak like this. But what Romans is saying here is not to glory in your pain, is to glory in what it produces. That there is a product or a byproduct of when you go through the valley, you will come out differently if you are submitted to God, if you submit yourself to emotional healing. And so what, what's being said here is there is some benefits of pain, if you will. And you ever notice this? People will say this all the time, been transformed in my pain. And sometimes you're like, well, that's great. What does that mean? And so what Romans shows us is three ways that if you are in a spot where you've got some pain in your life, a memory or an event that you're struggling to let go of, there are three ways that I want to submit to you from this text in Romans 5 that Jesus is going to heal you. First, notice this, because we know that suffering, notice this word, produces. We're not glorying in pain, we're glorying in what it produces because it produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so think about it like this, like a runner who has trained themselves to run long distances without quitting or giving up. In the same way, what happens is when you submit to God, he gives you the ability to endure pain and suffering without giving up or quitting in your faith. You can endure more and more. You have a spirit of perseverance. But in addition to that, notice what it says. He gives you character. Because if you're going to be transformed in pain, you're going to have to draw near to God. And when you're with God, really with him, you become like him. In the same way, when you get around a friend, what happens is you start to think like that friend, speak like that friend. And the Bible says when you draw near to God, he will transform you. He changes you. That's why abiding is the whole point. We don't show up once a week and think that we're going to be on fire for God. We need to spend time daily, daily abiding because the more we get around him, the more we begin to look like him. And so when you get close to him, you get character. 
But in addition to that, you also get hope. So what happens is the first time you walk through painful stuff, you look at what God does and you go, man, what the enemy intended for evil, God intends for good. And so you go, my goodness, if Jesus could take the cross and do that, what could he do in my life? And so you get a spirit of hope in the midst of this. And so the first step of really being healed from a broken heart is understanding that God is trying to transform you in that pain. That's the first thing. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you in this room, just how many of you are married? Okay. Um, I need a bit of honesty here, okay? You ready? One of you, Robert, is ready. How many of you would say in the last month we've had a bit of a disagreement or we've had a fight or a tiff? Okay, quite a few of you. And it doesn't have to be like dramatic. You don't have to like throw objects at each other. I'm just saying you've had a bit of a disagreement, right? How many of you would say that, uh, just a little bit of boldness here, how many of you would say we got in a fight on the way to church? A few of you. I appreciate your honesty. How many of you would say we got in a fight in the last week? Anybody? Now, I want you to go ahead and point out whose fault it was. <laughs> I see a whole lot of things going on. I might have worsened your strife. I'm sorry about that. But we are talking about brokenheartedness. Now, I say this. I don't, you know, you guys talk about fighting. I don't know what it's like because I have a perfect marriage. It's just a burden I, I carry. Now, my wife and I had a, a bit of a tiff this week. And I can share this because it's my fault. And uh, we had a moment where, you ever have this? Like, you go home, it, could, it doesn't have to be a spouse, it could be a friend. Like you go home and you don't want their advice. You just want them to agree with you. So I wasn't asking my wife for her thoughts, even though I love her thoughts. I just wanted her to give me empathy. So I shared this thing about this frustrating thing. And then she goes, oh, well, you were wrong. And she said, I see their point of view. And so I, 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 I just got to be honest, I pouted. Grown man pouting. And so, just to make you feel better if you're fighting, um, I actually didn't talk to her for the rest of the night. I went to bed. I went to bed. And so the next morning I woke up, and, you know, I was a bit petty just being honest with you. It was like a few moments, like, she'd walk by and I'd put something up. And one moment, like, I just put something up. And, you know, I just looked at her and I said, hey, did I put that up right? Because only you know how to do everything perfectly. <laughs> don't judge me like you don't have any moments. Take the plank out of your own eye, friends, <laughs> judging me. Goodness, last time I'd be vulnerable with you guys. But here's the thing. I woke up that next morning, and I knew what had gone, gone on in that moment, so I talked to her, and, and what I told her is it's not her fault. She did everything right. But what had happened is she had bumped into a bruise of mine. She, she had bumped into a spot that had triggered some area in my life. You ever have one of those moments where, like, you just have a normal conversation, and it's like you or your spouse or your friend, they go zero to 60. You ever had that moment? And it's like you come in, and you're like, hey, what's for dinner? And they're like, do you even love me? And you're like, wow, that escalated quickly. But what happens is you have bumped into a bruise. There, there's something in their life, there's some wound that has not been healed, so we're not dealing with the issue. And so what happens is it's something that has triggered you or that person that's reminding them of some pain associated, some emotional wound, some memory, some thing that is making itself out to be bigger than it is. And what happens is it's some area in his life that was affected because his father said something to him when he was a kid and he hasn't gotten over it. What happened is it's something that her first husband said to her and it's messed with her whole identity. And so she keeps moving really fast, but every little phrase that hits at that one thing causes you to go zero to 60. It's that memory that's associated with something that you did when you were a teenager and you regret it and you keep talking about forgiveness and you believe that you're forgiven, but you don't believe you're set free. And so it's that thing in your life from that painful memory or that thing that the moment you sit down, even if you don't know emotional healing and you're really emotionally oppressed, it's that thought that your mind automatically turns to. It's that thing that you said to your kids that you wish you could get back, like toothpaste in a tube, you cannot put it back in. And now you see the damage of what's been said to you or what you've said to someone else. It's something that you said in a moment where you had too much to drink or in a bad season of your life, and some things in there have not been completely healed. And what I'm here to submit to you today is Jesus has not just forgiven you of that area, he wants to set you free from that area. This is part of his job description. 
This is what he does. And so you don't have to wait 20 years, 40 years, grind it out, one day get to heaven. Today, 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 I believe Jesus wants to bring emotional healing in some of these areas, and that's what he does. That's how he operates. And so this is part of of who he is. Now, anybody ever been to uh, Pebble Beach, California? Okay, a few of you. You know, a lot of people know Pebble Beach from golf courses. But one of the things that's interesting about Pebble Beach is that if you go there, you'll see that there are all these rocks that people will usually keep some. They might put them on like a bowl uh, in their house. They might just keep one in the car. They might put it on display somewhere. But what's interesting is because of the current and because of the tide, the, the waters will cause these rocks to move up and down and they will crush and they will grind and there's this pressure. And so as a result of all this crushing and grinding and pressure, these rocks, they get transformed in their circumstances. Now, what's fascinating to me is most people don't know this. Around the cove, around the corner, there's this cove where the waters are not turbulent. They are quite calm and they are still. And as a result of that, there are rocks that look nothing like the rocks on Pebble Beach. So what happens is these rocks are sharp and and jagged and rough because they have not been transformed by their circumstances, and most people will not pick those up. Now, i got to give you a heads up. I'm about to preach, okay? I'm about to give you something, and I'm going to go long if you don't give me an amen at the end, all right? Just giving you a heads up. So here's what I want you to get. Some of you in this room, this might be one of the most important things I can say, you are wondering where God is in your life. You are experiencing some sort of crushing, some sort of pressure, or you had something that you've just come out of and you've wondered where God's goodness is in that. What happens is there's some force that's gone against you and the enemy's voice has caused you to question or doubt or wonder where God is. Can I just tell you, what I believe God is doing is he's allowing you to walk through some things so that you will be transformed in the midst of that pain. He is calling you in the midst of that pain and that suffering. He is calling you to trust that he is working out those rough edges, amen? He is working out those spots that you didn't even think you could grow in. And what he's doing is, church, he is putting you on display. He is putting you on display for us in the church to see and for those around the church and out of the church to go, if he can do that in your life, he can do that in mine. And so can I just tell you what might be the most important thing I can say? I want to just speak some truth into somebody. God's not going to get you out of this season. He's going to transform you in this season. Some of you are praying for God just to get you out. You need to change your prayers. He's transforming you. And you're going to get out of this season and you're going to go, he's put me on display in my family, in my workplace, and the Spirit of God has now done something in me that could have never happened in a docile, calm season of life. Amen? Amen. You with me? Okay. You worry me a little bit. I got about 30 more minutes than me. You guys good? You kind of have to say yes to that, but don't worry, I'm not going to go 30 minutes. Here's the second thing I want you to see. He gives your soul rest. He gives your soul rest. Not only does he transform you in your pain, I want you to see this. He gives your soul rest. Now, it's interesting. There was an article that was done, and uh, they asked people one question, um, how are you doing today? Do you know 80% of people, 8 out of 10 people, answered the exact same way? What do you think it was? It's a bunch of unity and good. You're wrong, but it's, it's, I like the unity. Busy. That's the number one response people said, busy. And what's interesting is we tend to operate in American culture. We almost wear busyness like a status symbol sometimes. The busier you are, it seems like the more important you are, your schedule, all these things tend to go on and on. And sometimes the truth is, the culture we live in, it is moving at a fast pace. There is all sorts of things happening. Now, out of curiosity, I'm one of these people. How many of you hate sitting still? How many of you hate sitting still? So quite a few of you. You know, you're like the type A people. You ever notice this? Like if, you, if you're one of the people like me, uh, you ever go to the fast food line, keyword being the fast food lane, and you know what's one of the worst things that's happened in cultural history is when they made two different drive-through lines. Because if you're like me, you start going, I don't want to pick the wrong one. What happens if I pick the wrong one? Heaven forbid I get two minutes behind. And literally every time, it's like I'll even pray sometimes. Spirit, guide me where I need to go. I don't want to go the wrong way. And then I always end up choosing the one line where the lady's like, what is the bun made out of? I'm like, it's McDonald's, all right? It's Chick-fil-A. Don't be asking about this. And then it's like, heaven forbid, I get a little bit late. 
Or the people, you ever notice this? Like it's like you are driving like a NASCAR driver to get to your destination and then you realize I don't even have to be anywhere early. It's just because you like moving and shaking. One day I saw a guy years ago, he was driving and shaving. And I wasn't even offended. I was like, you do you, man. You just do you. Multitasking. But isn't it true that multitaskers, type A people, you get done with the day. And one of the best feelings is when you've had a full day and you just go, ah, I crushed it. Just crushed it. And and I want to submit to you this. For for years, I'm a type A person, still am like that. But for years, it, it, it was an attempt, if I'm really honest, All this movement and speed was because, yes, there are some seasons that are really important, and yes, we had things going on, and yes, the church was doing something. What I noticed was when I sat still, the noise inside of my soul got really loud. And when I sat still, it was like the voices and the doubts and the thoughts and the pains got really, really loud. So part of me being a type A was an attempt to mask all the pain and all the emotional hurt that I had in my life because speed could conceal and hide those things. But the moment I sat, the moment I was left alone, it was like all these thoughts got in my mind. And so I knew about Jesus. I knew forgiveness, but I had not experienced soul rest. I couldn't sit and just be because all the voices, all the thoughts, all the guilt, all the worry, all the anxiety, all this sense, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I say the right thing? All these things would get really, really loud inside of my head. And what's interesting is there was a man who went to a counselor, famous counselor. It's a pretty well-known story. But in essence, this guy had all sorts of anxiety and depression when he would sit. So he's working 14 hours a day. He could not sit. He could not be still. So he goes to this famous counselor and he says, I just need help. Every time I sit, I get this anxiety. So he found out, the counselor found out he's working 14 days, 14 hours a day. I'm sorry, 14 hours a day. And so the counselor talks to him. He says, I want you to do two things, two things. I want you to work eight hours a day. And then when you're done working, I want you to come home and spend time by yourself. Don't hang out with anyone else. Just spend time by yourself. Man does this for a week comes back. Counselor says, how are you doing? Man says, I'm still depressed. Counselor says, tell me what you did. He said, well, here's what I did. I worked eight hours. Then I came home and I read the newspaper. I read a book. I listened to music. Counselor interrupts him and he says, here's the deal. I told you to spend time by yourself, not with the author of a book, not with the author of an article in a newspaper, not with a radio station host or a musician. I told you to spend time by yourself. And this man looked at this counselor and said, that sounds terrible. I can think of no worse company than myself. And the counselor said this. He said, yet this is who you inflict on other people for 14 hours a day. (laughs) And the reason I say this is because the problem with getting alone is all the disappointments, all the noise, all the chaos, all the things get loud, all the frustrations, and even the self-hatred the mistakes, the voices that you have inside of your head. Can I just say this? We talk about forgiving your worst enemy, but what if your worst enemy is yourself? What if part of the tension of us being unable to slow down is because every time you get alone, and literally as I spoke this, even last service, someone came up with so much emotion who's been in our church for years because they just said, you know what, I've hit it. But I have so much disappointment in myself that when I get alone, all these voices get loud. So I serve in our church. I do all these activities because there is a part of her that has not forgiven herself. And what I'm here to tell you is Jesus does not want you to do really fast things and just jump into church and do a bunch of activities and try to numb this pain. He wants to heal you of that pain. He has not just forgiven you. He has set you free. And he wants to bring freedom in the middle of those spaces that you have. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, there is someone that I love even though I don't approve of what he does. There is someone I accept, though some of his thoughts and actions revolt me. There is someone I forgive, though he hurts the people I love most. That person is me. See, what I want to submit to you again is that God wants to give us real peace. We can get to the place where we don't have to distract ourselves with TV phones, movies, snacks, shallow conversation, activities and hobbies, do those things. Enjoy those things. But don't do those at an attempt to numb all the noise in your life. God has come to bring more peace and you can learn. I'm sincere when I say this. You can learn to feel relaxed and not nervous, aware, calm, unafraid. All of this is possible because this is the job description of Jesus. 
Think about what I've just talked to you about and think about what the psalmist might know. Psalm 46.10, he says, be still and know that I'm God. Maybe being still is the breakthrough because it's in that space you know God has met you and he's healed you and he is starting to take wounds and he's starting to make those things scars. You know, the, the, the psalm we always talk about when someone dies, the funeral psalm we talk about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And this isn't on the screen, but let me just read this over you. It's interesting, after he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, and think of all the emotions he was having as he was walking through this. Notice what he says, Psalms 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Quiet waters. Not rapid waters. Not activity. Not not blitzing pace. God wants to give your soul quiet, not on the other side of heaven now. You just sing about what a powerful name it is. And one of the things I tell our church over and over again, some of us are situational atheists. God, you can do anything in the world, I believe it, but I don't believe you'll heal me of this past. God, I believe you'll do anything in the world, but you won't change my finances. God, you'll do anything in the world, but I don't know if I can really be forgiven of that thing. God, I I know that you can do anything in this person's life, and yes, you broke bread, and yes, you walked on water, but I don't know if you can really meet me in such a way where I can have profound peace. And I'm just telling you, that is a lie from the enemy, and I bind that in Jesus' name. What he has come to bring is not just forgiveness, friends. He's come to bring freedom and healing. This is in his job description. And the third thing I want to submit to you is this, that not only does he give your soul rest, and not only do you get transformed, you have the ability, he allows you to love others in ways that you couldn't without being transformed in your pain. Think about this. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You ever notice this interesting about this? You ever notice how our culture seems to talk about love and acceptance and, and just sort of, you know, caring for people more than ever before? Have you noticed this? Like everything is some campaign on loving one another. But you ever notice there is more hostility and division, it seems like, than almost ever before. And if not maybe ever before, it just seems like we're talking about it more and it's not quite hitting. And the moment, what's, what's interesting is everyone talks about love, but you ever notice this? The moment you don't agree with someone or the moment they don't agree with you, what happens is it's like people move from any sort of love to just, I'm operating in truth. I'm operating in truth. And yet, what, what's interesting is, let me just submit this to you, to love, to truly love is to be vulnerable. And I hate that. To love is to risk. To love is to put yourself out there. And so you think about it like this. If you want to know an interesting stat, I read this the other day. Do you know the top reason you decide or I decide if you like someone? Anybody know what it is? The top reason you will decide if you like someone. Psychologists have written on this. Anybody know what it is? Their parents? Cool. Did you read my notes? You, at least you were honest. Yes, you did read my notes. The top reason you will decide, think about this, the top reason you will decide if you like someone is if you think they like you. The top reason is if you think they will like you. So I don't know if I've told you guys, but I just really like you guys. (laughs) I told you you're like my favorite church. If I could hang out with anybody from 9 to 11, it'd be you guys. But you ever think about that? Like like we, we are programmed to not put ourselves out there. We even decide who we like based on how we think they're going to receive us. Because to put yourself out there is to risk. It's to be vulnerable. And so we don't want to act too interested in the job, too interested in the person, too interested in God. Because what happens if they don't reciprocate? And so to love is to be vulnerable. And I just want to say this because I want, I want to speak this over someone. I believe there are some people in this room, this was me for years, who you have a warmness towards God. You've, you've been forgiven. You have a love for God. But you have a coldness towards brothers and sisters. Because what's happened is some memory or some past thing is causing you to try to wall up and protect And you're afraid to put yourself out there because what if this happens? What if this happens? And I'm not talking about being wise. I'm just saying it's interesting. For years, what would happen is I would preach, and then sometimes someone would send sort of a a mean email or something like that, and I would notice the next time I would preach with a little bit more of a guarded heart. 
And so I would talk about the love of God, but I move more to truth because to put yourself out there is to risk, it's to be vulnerable. And so how do you keep showing up day in and day out and loving people when you know they're probably gonna do something ridiculous, that you know they're gonna wrong you and you know they're gonna hurt you? It is only being transformed of your past and of your pain that allows you to do that. And so there's an invitation that most of us, if we're not careful, we just have these things we're hiding. Listen to this C.S. Lewis quote that I love and absolutely hate at the same time. This is what he says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But notice this, but in your or in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love, to love is to be vulnerable. Of all the things we celebrate about Jesus, like some people are like, man, I think the best thing about Jesus is his teaching. Oh, the most amazing thing about Jesus is his miracles. Oh, the most amazing thing about Jesus is his deity and his virgin birth and all these things. Can I just tell you, honestly, what amazes me the most about Jesus, his capacity to love other people. Listen, he has a disciple that betrays him, people that abandon him. And he doesn't move straight to truth, like, oh, yes, yes, they they need this, truth and grace. You know what he says when he's dying on the cross? This is so fascinating. He is around people that are mocking him and persecuting, not people who are singing what a beautiful name. He's around people that are literally ridiculing him and on the cross his heart is so moved with love he just looks up with his dying breath and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Everyone wants revival out there but you know what? Revival starts in here. You get a heart like Jesus and I'm just telling you, people will be drawn. They'll be going, what's, what's going on with you? But the only way you get that kind of heart, that only way you get that kind of love is if you have been healed by Jesus in such a way that you can keep showing up each and every day. And then when you're wrong, you keep bringing that to Jesus and you keep experiencing healing. I just want to show you this picture one more time of that as we close out in just a moment. I just believe this is such a picture for some people. Some of us have some stuff in our past and we just think we're going to get as far away from it. And friends, I'm telling you, God's not trying to get you away from it. He's trying to heal you, make you whole in it so that can become part of your ministry. So you can point to God's goodness in the midst of that and go, hey, here's what he's done in my life. And so there becomes a sense of that. And I just want to show you three things right here that, that I want to just sort of invite you into a moment that might be different, but it just shows you three processes of healing. You'll see it. It's wounds, scabs, and scars. So I want you to think about where you're at right now. Some of you right now, you know there's a wound because it's recent. Maybe a divorce you had, a painful thing, a word a spouse spoke to you, something that happened in your job, something that made you believe when you lost your job, something your father said, something you did. And so you, you have this wound that's fresh and you know it's fresh. And even as we're speaking, you're there. Others of you, you might not have that sense, but you just know you can't sit still. You know you have some self-hatred. You have some frustration. And so stillness is one of your greatest enemies. And so you might have a scab somewhere that the, the, the enemy is causing you to move really fast. And Jesus is going, no, no, I want to bring complete healing to that area. And scars, scars are the goal. What's interesting is this. Let me just say this word. Let me speak it over some of you. You know what's interesting is, remember Thomas? He says, I won't doubt till I see. And what does he do? He actually puts his fingers in Jesus' scars. Some people will experience Jesus because of your scars. Some people will believe in Jesus because of your scars because they'll go, oh, if he can do that in your life, and if he can take that evil thing and make that, then he can do anything in my life. And so what I want you to do, I'm just going to close out here. I want to do something a bit different. But I really believe, we just sang about what a powerful name. I really believe there is healing in the name of Jesus. So what I want to do is I just want to, I want you to take a moment. We'll be done in a couple minutes. But I want you to just take a moment right now and just close your eyes. Bow your heads. If you're tired, just look down. But I'm just inviting you right now. And I'm inviting the Spirit to bring up any memory in your past that you've been running from. Maybe it's abuse. 
Maybe it's something with your siblings that was spoken into you. Maybe some shame of a mistake that you made when you were a teenager and you've never really been set free from it. Maybe it's the addiction you carry that's caused you to even question if you're worthy. Maybe it's the insecurity that causes you to operate and perform and cover it up with success and speed. Maybe it's the sense of abandonment or the pain that you experienced as a child. And I don't want you to run from it. Even as I sit here and speak, there might be stress associated with this pain. But I want you as best as you can to imagine yourself in that space or even if you don't have a picture, just a feeling that you feel. And then what I want you to do, just for a few seconds, I want you to picture yourself as best as you can giving that back to God. And as you give it back to God, just say these words, heal me, heal me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He has not come just to forgive you of your sins. He has come to set you free. It is in His job description. So as best as you can, there's no science behind this. It's just believing that Jesus is who He says He is. And even if you don't believe that, I believe that for you this morning. So as best as you can, there's nothing mystical about this. It's just simply saying, Jesus, I give you this. Jesus, I ask for your healing. And what I want to do as we close out is there is an emotional healing prayer from a pastor in the Dallas area called Robert Morris, and I love this. And so I just want to read this, and I want you to repeat it back. Everyone in the church, I want you to repeat this back. It's just sort of a signal of God we're saying, healing is who you are. So here's what I want you to do. Just repeat this after me. Almighty Father, I submit these memories to you. For you to heal me from all the stress and to give me holy forgetfulness. I choose now by an act of the will to forgive, release, and be healed. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now let me just pray this over you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you that on behalf of the blood of Jesus, we are not just sinners who are saved, we are saints brought to glory. So I pray in that kind of faith, God, that you would be faithful to your word. Not faithful to mine, not faithful to this church, faithful to your word. Your job description, God, is to heal the brokenhearted. So we have asked and today we receive that in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would take wounds and scabs and you would start to move them towards scars and there would be a healing process, a break that happens today. God, I realize that there'll be some other things that need to happen, but I just believe that we don't have to do 16 steps with you. In the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus is healing and freedom. And I declare that over my brothers and sisters. And I speak to any enemy, any spirit that would bring frustration and the name of Jesus be gone. Anything that has to do with stress, any shame, any lie, any guilt that is associated with this thing, any insecurity that wells itself up that gets us moving in speed, any self-hatred, any addiction that is louder than the voice of God, I pray that healing, healing would begin to unfold itself today. God, the kingdom of God, we believe, is not a matter of talk but of power. So you show up in power, God, You're faithful to do that. 
And so I just pray this over my brothers and sisters today. I pray freedom and I pray the promise that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we sense you, God. And I just ask this all in the amazing, mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Everyone agreed and said, amen, 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 amen. Hey, as we close, I just want to be sensitive that some of you, I talked to someone, God began the healing process. You know, if you've come here and there's some things that, as I mentioned, we bumped into a wound or a scar, or you've got some other prayer requests, I'd invite you. We have counselors. We have so many resources here. If you don't know how to walk through some of the things, you've got some stuff with family members. Even I mentioned abuse. I realize there's heavy stuff in a room like this. I don't want to skim past that. We have so many resources that we would love to be able to help you with. Uh, we, would, we would come alongside you any way we can, but I do believe the first step is experiencing this. The second step is inviting others into it, how we can pray for that, how we can walk along side of you. If that would be a resource to you, we'd love to do that. For those of you who are fasting, some of you, this is the first time. Let me just give you one thing. Don't eat the fattiest fried food if you've been fasting for a week, all right? You will die, all right? So, so take it easy. Enjoy that. But also next week, let me encourage you this. Come back. My favorite sermon in this series is one on strongholds. I've never heard this preached um, until a couple years ago, and it transformed me as I heard it. So come back next week. Love you guys. Blessings. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week. We are very grateful you joined us for today's episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week's ministry spotlight is the Brookwood Prayer Ministry. You can join one of our prayer teams as we seek out on behalf of those who are suffering, our mission partners, our community, our nation, and our church. The intercessory prayer team are volunteers committed to a weekly one-hour time slot to serve in our on-site prayer room. You can also join Sunday morning prayer in the auditorium at 815 every week. And the Watch Prayer Team is a dedicated group of church members committed to praying for Brookwood Church daily using a short weekly list of specific requests. There is a daily devotional companion for you to follow for Jesus at the Center of Freedom series. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional on the Brookwood Church app. And on the app, you'll notice that you can share the day's devotion you're reading with your friends and family through text messaging, email, or your social media. Thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you during our next episode.